Today's scripture reading comes from Psalm chapter 42, verses 1 through 6. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God, with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God endures forever. Good morning. My name is Brian, and I am one of the pastors at Exilic. I want to welcome you to another virtual Sunday service with us. We're glad that you could join. We're in week seven of the quarantine, and we continue on with our series called What Do I Do When I Feel Dot, Dot, Dot? And we're, what we're trying to do is look at the various emotions that we might encounter during this quarantine and asking the question, what do I do and what does the Bible say about what I should do when I face these emotions? Uh, we've already looked at what do I do when I feel afraid or anxious or lonely um, or powerless. Or last week we looked at what do I do when I feel overwhelmed. This week we'll be taking a look at what do I do when I feel thirsty. And we'll be taking a look from um, a very well-known psalm, Psalm 42, uh, which starts, as the deer pants for flowing streams. You may be familiar with it. But here's how I want to spend our time together. First, I want to give us a brief pointer about how to approach the psalms in general, and then how to approach this particular psalm in particular. And then we'll talk about the passage in three points. But first, the brief pointer about approaching the Psalms. You know, the book of Psalms is like a library of songs, and each of these songs can be categorized into different playlists by genre. Now, some of these songs are sung for all-purpose sort of general occasions, while others are believed to have been sung for special or certain occasions. So, for instance, there are these Psalms called the Praise Psalms, and they could be sung at any time of the day for any sort of occasion, uh, singing How Majestic Is Your Name, uh, giving adoration to God. But then there are other kinds of songs, for instance, like the Royal Psalms, uh, which are songs that were sung in the presence of the King of Israel. Or there are these psalms called the Songs of Ascent, uh, which were a cluster of psalms towards the back that were sung as the people of God um, ascended up to the city of Jerusalem because the city of Jerusalem was literally a city on a hill. So then, which playlist does Psalm 42 belong to? And the answer is it's sort of in a mixed playlist because it potentially fits into at least two genres. And those two genres are the masculine and the lament. We'll first start with the, uh, the, the easier of the two terms, a lament. What's a lament? Well, it's, as you might expect, it's a song of sorrow or grief. Uh, now, what's a masculine? First, we know that it is a masculine because at the top of the psalm, if you look in your Bibles, um, it has directions and it reads, To the choir master, a masculine of the sons of Korah. 
So what is a maskil? Maskil is a Hebrew word that means wisdom or instruction. And so we know that these maskils functioned like didactic poems, meaning that these were songs meant to teach a life lesson. And the best maybe secular and modern example that I could think about uh, was Adele's Someone Like You. Uh, Someone Like You. And uh, you don't have to know the song, though I, I bet many of us would know the song. Uh, all you need to know is the last line of the chorus, which says, Sometimes it lasts in love, but sometimes it hurts instead. And you can just feel the pang of the grief and the sorrow. Well, what do we see here? Well, we see, one, the lament component, because Adele wrote this song, and it was inspired by a broken relationship. Now, we also see the masculine component because this teaches a life lesson. Sometimes it doesn't work out. Sometimes it doesn't last in love. Or, or excuse me, sometimes it does last in love, uh, but sometimes it just hurts instead. It doesn't work out. Relationships tear apart. It, it rips apart. Psalm 42 is similar in this way. It's a song sung by the people of God longing and thirsting for a restored communion with God. And the psalm is meant to teach us an important lesson about how sometimes our communion with God will go dry and what it is we're supposed to do when we feel thirsty for God. As such, we'll look at the following three things from the passage today. That is a picture of thirst, a provision for thirst, and a prescription in thirst. Picture, provision, and prescription in thirst. Let's take a look at a picture of thirst. Read with me Psalm 1. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. At the onset of the psalm, we get a picture of thirst, and it's a picture of that of a deer that has come to a stream it relies on for water time and time again. But when it gets there, what it finds is that the water is dry. Now, at this point, the deer is panting for its life because it's thirsty, it's parched, and it has nowhere else to turn. Now, this metaphor paints a picture of what our relationship with God can sometimes look like. Maybe it's been a hard week for you. Uh, maybe it's been a hard year for you. Um, and in our thirst for, let's say, an uplifting word uh, when we turn to the Bible, or an encouraging time spent with friends um, in our CGs, um, or we're thirsting for a sense of calm during a time of private prayer. Uh, you turn to God in all these ways that you know and have been taught over the years about how to connect with God when you need him the most. But when you do that, when you get there, it's not satisfying as you had hoped. The water seems to have run dry. Now, in times of deep soul thirst, and that's what I'll call it from here on out, this deep soul thirst, what are the things that you've turned to to quench it? You know, usually uh, we think that if our external circumstances change, then we can experience this quenching of soul thirst. And so we look to something outside of us to change. And let me give us an example of that. Um, from the example of marriage and singleness. Uh, when you're single, uh, you might feel a parchness in your soul. 
wanting relationship, wanting to be married, dreaming about the day when you'll have kids and raise a family together uh, with that significant other. And so in the meantime, you're feeling overwhelmed, you're feeling anxious, you're feeling lonely, you're feeling like you don't have self-worth, like you're not beautiful enough. But then you meet Mr. Right, and you guys end up getting married, and you think it's so great, but it's not long before you realize that, oh my gosh, this relationship, this marriage is pretty tough. Uh, it requires a lot of work. Uh, basically, what's kicked in is this thing called commitment, and what's been kicked out is this thing called independence. And so what's the simple point here? There's no consensus on the matter. Just because your external circumstances change doesn't make your soul thirst any more quenched uh, than you wanted it to be in the first place. You know this, and I know this. Uh, take the example of financial security. Um, how secure are we really financially at any given one time? Are we not employees to our employers? And aren't our employers at the mercy of economic stability as we've seen in this season? You know, financial security can last for a while until it doesn't. How much can we bank on, no pun intended, um, even in our financial security? And all the while, uh, when we're looking for ways to quench our soul thirsts, uh, we're just looking for salves for wounds and not cures. And so we'll turn to just temporary shelters in the storm, like another episode on Netflix about tigers and kings. Uh, just one more episode. You know, these things can't quench us because there is no guarantee that they'll save us. And yet we turn to those things like they will offer us salvation. So what is the solution? The solution is what the Bible gives as a provision for our thirst. And here we'll take an important excursus out of Psalm 42 into John 4. Because that's the place in the Bible that Jesus has an encounter with the Samaritan woman. And for all extent and purposes, this conversation should not have happened. I mean, Jesus talks to a woman in public, which was a social faux pas for a Jewish man to do in public. She's a Samaritan woman with a simple past and a present, which we'll see in the dialogue. And a respected Jewish rabbi shouldn't have any business being in the presence of, let alone talking and initiating a conversation with a woman of this sort. But Jesus... Is thirsty. And so asked the Samaritan woman for a drink from the well. And she asks, how is it that you, a Jew, ask me a drink from the well, a woman of Samaria? And what does Jesus say? She's, he says, um, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. What's Jesus saying here? He says that I can quench your thirst not only once, but once and for all. Because I'll put the spring of water welling up to eternal life inside you. And what does Jesus mean when he says this? Richard J. Foster, in his book, Streams of Living Water, says this. You see, 
The goal of the Christian life is not simply to get us into heaven, but to get heaven into us. We'll go on with the story to make sense of all this, and it'll make sense um, as we go on here. The woman says, give me this water, of course. And Jesus says something that doesn't seem to actually at this point logically follow. It seems like a non sequitur because he says, go, call your husband and come here. And what does this have to do with living water? Uh, the Samaritan woman says, I don't have a husband. I have no husband. And Jesus responds by saying, that's right. You, you've had five husbands and the one that you're cohabitating with is not your husband. What is Jesus getting at here, and why the deliberate call out? I thought we were talking about quenching thirst, but Jesus wants to talk about sin. And Jesus is pointing to something here very significant, and that is this. Just as basic and necessity or necessary as water is to your physical thirst, there's something you essentially need to quench your spiritual thirst. And what does quenching soul thirst have to do with sin? Well, one way to define sin is uh, sin is looking to something other than God to be your salvation, your deliverance, your all in all, the thing you look to quench your soul thirst. You know, for the Samaritan woman, she thought changing husbands would change her fortunes and giving her thus a quenching of soul thirst. But you know, the secret of the universe is this. The way to be quenched of your soul thirst is to be told that even though you're in the wrong, uh, that that person would treat you as if you did everything right. Uh, The way to quench your soul thirst is to be accepted and to be treated like royalty, even though we deserve Far, far less than that. You know, one of my favorite musicals is Les Miserables, and I must have seen it, of course, in my life five, five to seven times or so um, at the theaters, um, both in New York City and also in London. I think also one time in Korea when I was uh, younger. But the story goes is their main character, his name is Jean Valjean, and he's in, cha- is, he's in the chains of slavery under the law. He's sentenced to 19 years for stealing a loaf of bread. Um, So he's a victim of injustice here. And he only knows a life of sin and shame. Well, after 19 years of hard labor in prison, his sentence is up and he starts his parole. But it's been 19 years. He has nowhere else to go. He doesn't have family anymore. Not that he knows about anyway. But he he, he goes out and it's cold out. uh, But he stumbles upon an old church where an elderly and kind bishop welcomes him in for wine and bread. Uh, But in the middle of the night, forgetting the kindness of this bishop, Valjean steals silver from the church, but doesn't get very far before he's caught by the police and he's brought before the bishop to tell his story. But you know, the bishop doesn't turn Valjean in, but instead he says, and he sings this part, but he says, "But uh, but my friend, you left so early. Surely something slipped your mind. You forgot I gave these also. Would you leave the best behind? And then he turns to the police officers and he says, Monsieur, you may release him. This man has spoken true. I commend you for your duties. May God's blessings go with you. And I love this next part because the music drops. The bishop turns to Jean Valjean and sings this. 
But remember this, my brother. See in this some higher plan. You must use this precious silver to become an honest man. By the witness of the martyrs, by the passion and the blood, God has raised you out of darkness. I have saved your soul for God. And at this grace, Valjean responds in a soliloquy um, and in song when he says, Yet why did I allow that man to touch my soul and teach me love? He treated me like any other. He gave me his trust. He called me brother. And the song continues, and he's trying to reckon with the fact that he should have deserved punishment and death and shame for the rest of his life for what he's done. He's stolen from the church. But instead, he's trying to reckon with the grace and the kindness that this bishop has shown him. And so he says, For I had come to hate the world, this world that hated me. Take an eye for an eye. Turn your heart to stone. This is all I have lived for. This is all I have known. He says, One word from him and I'd be back, beneath the lash upon the rack. Instead, he offers me my freedom. To feel my shame inside me is like a knife. He told me that I have a soul. How does he know? My spirit comes to move my life. Is there any another way to go? You know, Jean Valjean has everything coming to him that he deserves, which is a life of slavery and chains. But in one soul-thirst-quenching moment, he's given the gift of grace, forgiveness, acceptance, and kindness. He deserved shame and punishment, but he's given the gift of grace and freedom, and his life has changed forever. You know, the Bible gives us uh, many different metaphors to understand that it's kindness, it's grace, um, it's the freedom that we have in that grace that's the thing that's going to quench our soul the most and once and for all. The way to quench your soul thirst, according to the scriptures, is that of a picture of an adulterous wife who is brought back home to be loved again by a faithful husband. The way to be quenching your soul thirst, according to the Bible, is to be a convicted felon before a judge um, and to go from that to being an adopted child of a good father. The way to quench soul thirst is to be a defenseless sheep who is protected by a fearless warrior shepherd. You know, back to the story of Jesus and the Samaritan woman, uh, we don't know what happened to her. But we know that she told all the people in town about this living water that she found. But how did this woman find living water? The thing that would quench her thirst once and for all. And the answer is, it's because Jesus was thirsty. Now, why was Jesus thirsty? How is it that the Son of God, Jesus Christ himself could be thirsty? Well, it's because Jesus, the divine Son of God, emptied himself of his eternal glory, which he had in heaven, and came down and took on our humanity and our thirsts. But, you know, this wouldn't be the last time that Jesus Jesus would say, I thirst. Because as he hung on the cross, bruised and bleeding and dying, one of Jesus' last words before he expired was, I thirst. And this was more than physical thirst. 
He was experiencing a spiritual thirst, that is, a thirst for a communion with his Father. He's turning to his God in his most desperate moment, but when he goes to the place that he used to rely on strength, he's been abandoned. He's been cut off from the living water. And that's because he was taking on himself the punishment we deserved for our sins. You see, Jesus was thirsty in our place to drink the cup of his father's wrath so that now we could drink from the cup of his blessing to satisfy our thirst eternally and to have in Christ the spring of living water that never runs dry. God's invitation for you this morning is this, and it's Jesus' own words. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. You know, today, uh, I want to wrap up our time with a brief description of a prescription of what we need to do when we are thirsty for a communion with God um, again. And so it's in the day-to-day in Christ that we ask the question, what do we practically do? And, and I'm just going to kind of rapid fire these three things and we'll wrap up our time. Uh, but the three things to do um, when you're thirsting, when your soul is panting for communion with God. And it's to do these three things. The first is to remember. Second is the self-dialogue. And the third is to hope. Let's look at these three things. Uh, first, you have to remember. The psalmist in verse 4 says this. These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How would I go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival? The psalmist here is looking back to the days of corporate worship, when he used to be with his people in the temple singing praises and worship to God. You know, the thing to do when you're feeling thirsty for communion with God is to first remember, think back to our days, Exilic, when we're back at the Stewart Hotel. Think back to the CGs uh, when we used to have them in our apartments, when we used to share evenings together, sharing God's word and sharing each other's company. Think about our annual retreat when we had Alexander John talk about racism and, and spend all that time together. Uh, time spent together in our homes over meals and conversations, in tears and in, la- in laughter, doing life together, uh, the prayer times, uh, Saturday brunch that we used to gather for at Adelante. Uh, long for those days again because it'll be back. But that's how we start. That is to say, we are to think on God's past faithfulness. It's definitely the place to start. Secondly, it's to self-dialogue. Read with me in verse 5. It says this, Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. You know, lots of times in soul thirst, uh, we let our thoughts dictate our important decisions, or even we let our feelings determine our own self-worth. We're always held at bay by our own thoughts and our feelings. But it's in these times of soul thirst that you have to speak a word of truth to your thoughts. You have to speak a good word 
to and over your thoughts. Uh, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones in his book Spiritual Depression says this about self-dialogue. Have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you're listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? Take those thoughts that come to you the moment you wake up in the morning. You have not originated them, but they are talking to you. They bring back the problems of yesterday, etc. Somebody is talking. Who's talking to you? Yourself is talking to you. Now, this man's treatment in Psalm 42 was this. Instead of allowing the self to talk to him, he starts talking to himself. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? He asks. His soul has been depressing him, crushing him. So he stands up and says, Self, listen for a moment. I will speak to you. You know, I think uh, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones was right when he talks about how these feelings or these thoughts that we have in the morning, we don't consciously think about them, and yet we have them. But those are the kinds of thoughts, these unconscious thoughts that we have, um, that are are the thoughts that we let dictate our decisions and the way that we feel that day. Uh, But it's in those times that we're supposed to think about and check ourselves, have a brief moment's pause uh, to speak to ourselves and to speak God's word over ourselves and to say, "Why, why are you like this? This isn't like you. This is not what you're created to be, what you're delivered for. You know, uh, th- for a few weeks now, I think uh, we've been doing a noon prayer, and it's a time for the church um, every day during the week um, at noon to get together for prayer. And a pastoral staffer, a different one every time, will be leading us in prayer, but before, uh, would speak a good word uh, from the scriptures um, to get our hearts and minds ready. And I would say that noon prayer would be an amazing time to punctuate your days with a time to check yourself and to have a brief moment's pause for contemplation to speak to yourself uh, the good word of God's own word um, in Christ to you. So first, remember. Second, self-dialogue. And third, hope. Hope. Last week in CG, we talked about the difference between hope and optimism. And what we said is that those two words are entirely different from each other. Optimism, as popularly defined, um, is a positive outlook or an attitude towards some outcome that you would really wish would happen. But biblical hope is something entirely different. Biblical hope it, uh, simply means to wait uh, or to expect, meaning that biblical hope is waiting for a predetermined, guaranteed outcome based on the promise of God. So in other words, the difference between hope and optimism is that hope is waiting and optimism is wishing. Hope waits and expects a guarantee to happen, whereas optimism wishes it can do that. I want to end our time with um, a a picture or an experiment um, while we're on the note of hope. Uh, there was an experiment done with two mice, and uh, the, the, the basis of the experiment was to try and find out um, how hope affects behavior. And so here was the experiment. There were two mice, and they were put into water at the same time. 
And it turned out that mouse number one outlasted in swimming uh, mouse number two. The mouse number two drowned, uh, but mouse one made it. Now, what made mouse number one outlast mouse number two? Well, before the experiment, the experimenter uh, took mouse one and conditioned the mouse. And here's how the experimenter conditioned mouse number one. Uh, the experimenter put mouse number one in water just like in the experiment and when the mouse would exhaust itself and tire itself out and at the point of death when 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 the mouse would give itself over to the water um, and give up the experimenter would swoop in and deliver the mouse and then the mouse would recover but then the mouse was quickly put back into the water, and so it'd be swimming and exhausting itself out. And again, at the point of exhaustion and on the verge of death, the experimenter would swoop in and rescue the mouse again. And this would happen again and again, but wouldn't you know it, with time and time again, the mouse realized um, that deliverance was coming. And so with each cycle and with each time, the mouse would outlast um, the time that it did before. And so when it came down to the experiment, both mouse, mice, mouse one and mouse two, put into the water, uh, mouse one was fit for the challenge. Why? Because it was conditioned to wait for deliverance. Exilic Church, we are people who've been given the greatest guarantee and promise to come. And because of that, uh, we can be a people who wait and who are able to outlast uh, because uh, we have a faithful promise from our God that he would deliver us. And so, Exilic, come to Jesus, the living water that will never run dry for you. Let's pray.